Gentlemen, uh, we've brought dying alive. We've brought the dying alive machine uh, up from underneath here. We buried it in the earth for safekeeping. We've exhumed it from the earth and dusted the, the mud off uh, for this February twenty seventh in the, the year of our Lord twenty twenty three. Big things popping in the world of the National Hockey League. Uh, things are flying all over the place. The New Jersey Devils have traded for Timo Meyer, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about it, at least to some length. The New York Rangers. Uh, have traded for uh, 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 we already got Tarasenko in the fold, Patrick Kane potentially uh, coming down the pike, and then we got the Pittsburgh Penguins stewing about, just stewing about uh, in the mud right now. I'm Jesse Marshall. Uh, I write about hockey for McKean's uh, for the National Hockey League, and then uh, the Penguins for the Athletic. Joined by my my other half in podcasting, uh, Pat Damp, who writes for uh, for KDKA. Uh, we're, I will say, Pat, before you say hello, we're missing a third. Mike Darnay's in Oregon. I did find this out. I tracked him down. He's in the, he's in Oregon. He went there to golf and it's snowing. Yeah. He, he texted me about it today and he was like, it felt like the worst stroke of luck that we got out there. And the one course they were looking forward to playing, the guy was like, yeah, we haven't seen this kind of snow in 25 <laughs> years. <Unprecedented>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's unpre- once in a lifetime snow. I felt, for Mike. I felt so bad. Cause like, as everybody knows, like he's also my coworker. We both work at KDKA and like, I don't know if I've ever worked with someone that has the kind of work ethic Mike does. So this was one of like the most well-earned, well-deserved vacations ever. And luckily they were able to get a good amount of golf in, but I was like, man, like that is like the worst luck ever. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, while, while Mike's up there, uh, snowing and, and freezing his, his, uh, butt off, uh, we're here and we're in a unique situation. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, banter on the internet happening right now. Uh, the penguins did have, as you pointed out in penguins perspectives, Pat, they had a good weekend. I don't, as you said, in penguins, I don't really know that it makes all that much of a difference. It's two games, right? It's a small sample size. There's no problem that's been solved, but I felt like it was sort of necessary for us to have this podcast because I, I I've been repeating myself on the internet a lot. <laughs> like you have two Pat. And I feel like there are very obvious things that we could talk about with regards to this team. Um, uh, top to bottom, not just the situation they're in, but how they got there. And we asked for like a, a list of your grievances, uh, both hockey and non-hockey related, and we did get a mix of both, thankfully. Uh, but a lot of them were like a lot about the stuff we're going to talk today. Uh, why are we in this situation? What is the situation? <laughs> what, what is going on? And sort of like what's the, what's the overall theme and, and sort of modality to all this? So I want to go back a ways to start, Pat, because I think it helps us to sort of absorb where we are. And a lot of today's discussion will obviously be centric to Ron Hextall. I think we expect that. Charlie O'Connor, who writes about the Flyers for the Athletic, uh, unbelievable, uh, solid, you know, classic good guy. We've, we've had him on the show, right? Yeah, we've talked to Charlie before. 
Um, I reached out to him way, way back in the past when the Penguins hired Ron Hextall, and I wanted a general assessment of Charlie, uh, from Charlie, of Ron Hextall, right? Because if there's anybody that was going to know what we were potentially about to experience, uh, it would be him, bearing in mind that he covered him pretty much the entire time of he was in in Philadelphia. So, um, and Charlie, I think, was very frank in saying, like, look, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm going to tell you what I know, but then we'll see how it plays out because the situation in, in Pittsburgh is vastly different to the one that Philadelphia was in at the time, which is a true statement. But to touch on some of the things he said, Pat, uh, once he decides on a path or vision, he sticks to it and he's not a GM that's going to change or dramatically pivot out of nowhere. But that issue becomes that it makes more difficult to realize when part of the plan is flawed, i.e. Hackstall being a poor head coach. LaPerriere not being able to fix the penalty kill. Amac, Weiss, Manning, Philpula, bad players who were very bad. And, you know, the, the, the sort of uh, vibe, if you will, was we're going to ride it out with these guys, right? Because they're a part of the plan. Did, did you get, like, chills <laughs> hearing me read that from Charlie? Like, it is, I think the hope we all had, Pat, and we talked about this, you and I, and I'll let you go, is like, there, you have to learn from mistakes, right? That's what makes people successful. And I kind of feel like given the situation that we're in and hearing Charlie's assessment of Ron Hextall and looking at the situation now, it's the, the boat's very similar looking anyway. Yeah, and the thing I wrote about in Penguin's Perspectives is at the time of his hiring, it felt right because – we needed that antithesis of Jim Rutherford because Jim Rutherford at the end of his run here, it was not great. You know, you think about how he would just make a trade on a whim. You know, I talked about it with a coworker yesterday. I think one of the worst trades I think I've ever seen was the Haglin trade in 2019 or 2018 when, whenever that was, but I'm pretty sure it was post second round loss to the Capitals because he was like, oh, the, you know, this team needs a wake-up call. And now looking back, at, you know, give, giving that hindsight, it's one of those, like, did they? Because they just won two Stanley Cups in a row and then made it to the second round and just burned out. Like, the team was tired. They didn't need a wake-up call. They needed an offseason where they just didn't play a lot of hockey. And then just it felt like the right idea, you know, like a guy who's going to be a little bit more... A little bit more... Measured. Measured, a little bit less emotional a little bit less impulsive and you get that in Ron Hextall. I think the difference now though, is like putting aside the bad players thing, because that is obviously becoming an issue with a lot of the guys on the roster right now. But the main thing that got him in trouble and out of the job in Philly was he said, listen, Carter Hart is not ready to be a full-time NHL goalie. He has the ability to be an elite number one goalie on your team. Let him develop and let him get there. And as we see now, he was actually proven right because Carter Hart has flashes of absolute brilliance, but he cannot find a level of consistency that he probably would have gotten to had he been allowed to develop. The problem is with Hextall, it's everything surrounding it. It's the fact that he's dug in on all these players Namely, one of the ones I got to think of is is Jeff Carter. And this pains me to say, because even when he was a flyer, I watched Jeff Carter play and I was like, man, I would 
love this guy to be a Penguin one day. Same in same thing in L.A. And then when they acquired him at the deadline a few years back, I was like, oh, man, like now we're getting Jeff Carter. And he shut us all up for about a year and a half. He had a career renaissance. But as Steve Dangle likes to say, time the tool man Taylor's undefeated. And giving a, <laughs> giving a guy who's 37 a two-year, $3 million per extension with a no-movement clause is absurd. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the, the, the clause is inherent in the, his age, right? Um, and we'll get into this too, but like that, that being the first piece of business was the weird part, right? Noting that you had all this other business that you had to attend to and had to get done and you know, bring in the, the quote-unquote the band back together, so to speak, that feels weird, right? It, to bring it, the, the least tenured member of that, of that group of older players and don't back get, don't first. And don't get me wrong. He earned that extension because I say this all the time. You know, we love to, I, I, we love, can I stop you? He earned an extension. Right, right, right. Not that one. Exactly. Because, <laughs> because yeah, I always say this, you know, because we love to do this is, is prognosticators talking about hockey. Be like, oh, this, this, this contract is ridiculous. It's like, eventually if a guy has a 30 plus, and I don't, I know Jeff Carter didn't, I'm just saying in, in general here, a guy has a 30 plus goal season, somebody is going to pay him for better or for worse. You earn a contract doing that. But the one for Jeff Carter that's annoying is like, you don't have to do this to him, especially because all, for all for every report basically says like he's gonna play out his contract in Pittsburgh and retire. Sure, I, the only, I mean there's nothing you could do about this, right? I, I have to be very clear. A lot of people tweet me and they say like, well, they should do the same thing they did with Kapanen for Jeff Carter. You can't do that. You can't waive him. You legally, you legally cannot. <laughs> you know. But I will say this, and we'll get into this discussion about Mike Sullivan, I'm sure. There's nothing in that no-movement clause that prevents you from putting him in the press box, right? No-movement no clauses don't cover the press box, right? And I understand the idea of, like, I don't want to eat this money, right? But you have to ask yourself the question, what, where is my benefit as, as a general manager or a coach, right? Is it in continuing to deploy a player who's supremely subpar defensively? In every single way, right? And like, we're really starting to see that come home and roost, by the way, this year, like this, this, the last couple of months, especially, I think that's where he's been especially brutal or is the absence of him knowing that we still have to pay that money, no matter what is the absence of him and the insertion of perhaps a little bit of youth, a little bit of legs into the lineup better overall for our team, regardless of the salary we're eating. Sunk old sunk cost fallacy, right? Um, it's not difficult to find a person to leap the hurdle of performance that's been laid down by Jeff Carter this season. It's not hard to do that at all. Um, I, I have his player card pulled up uh, from Jay Fresh, um, who you know obviously tracks uh, all this stuff uh, analytically vis-a-vis Corey. Um, for the all three zones project, right? Um, we're talking about a player who, generally speaking, looking at his performance, you know, offensively, about 75% of the league is outperforming him uh, metrically. It's not, I mean, I, I just don't feel like it's going to be difficult to, to hurdle that. And this gets to the point, Pat, of what we're talking about here, where like, I keep getting this sentiment, and I have to talk about this, and I'm going to let you talk about it because I know you go crazy about it. Who's the, the responsibility for this situation? I, 
I want to go back to the names people threw around in the summer for a minute. Rangers fans aren't crazy about Vince Trocek. <laughs> They're not crazy about him. Like, oh, he's okay. Great. Okay. Big deal. And you knew he was going to get overpaid. Yeah. John Klingberg is in the one per, the first percentile, one, the number one, uh, defensive, defensively speaking, from a defensive metrics percentage. 99% of the defensemen, the, and I understand he's in Anaheim, 99% of the defensemen of the National Hockey League are performing better than him defensively. But how many times the have answer- we seen in the history of the league, you can be a good player on a shit team. Thank you. Yes, that's my point. And the thing that we're talking about here is these were not the answers, right? These names I'm floating were not the answers. The core is performing, right? They're performing. I don't want to hear plus minus statistics for defensemen because plus minus is a statistic that tracks whether a goalie made a save and the pens have shit goaltending. So you're going to have a lot of players with a shit plus minus, especially if they play a lot, not a good excuse for me. They're the, the, this isn't the issue. The issue is that these players, it's a bad bottom six that got brought back and the defense got tinkered with in a way that wasn't helpful. No goaltending got addressed. Here we are. Am I, I, I don't know, Pat, maybe I'm wrong. I just feel like it's crazy. It's crazy to look at this and think, yeah, seeking help outside the organization was really the solution to this problem that we're having right now. Uh, and, and, and not having some of these players and, not having Malkin and Latang, that's definitely the solution to the Penguins' issues. No, if I have to hear one more time that the issue is bringing back the core, I'm going to voluntarily go drive around the construction around PPG Paints Arena and intentionally drive myself insane. Because that's not the problem. Like, along with it not being the problem because they've been productive, they've been healthy. How many times have you and I talked about how we need to have a seance around PPG because everybody keeps getting hurt? Yeah. Like in Latang's issues, like it wasn't hockey related. Right. I'm happy he's back. I'm happy he's healthy, but. And granted, I mean, do you miss a very small amount of time considering the fact that he had a stroke? Yeah. I mean, you know, to be, he was out for like a cup of tea. And this gets into kind of bring it all, you know, full circle here for what you were saying. The Jeff Carter thing. I don't think there's also a ton in... I, I agree that, yes, give one of the kids in Wilkes-Barre who's been doing well a shot because it can't get much worse than that. But it speaks to the job that Hextall has done. Because I don't think Sullivan has a ton of options. You, sure, like, you can give one of the kids the shot, and you should. But at the same time, you look at the roster compiled by Ron Hextall and the depth outside of the top six and Chris Letang and Marcus Pedersen, and you go, who the hell do we have? They they shouldn't be in this position, especially with Crosby, Malkin, and Letang performing the way that they're performing in their 35-plus years. So, again, as much as I am annoyed that Sullivan deploys them the way he does... It just feels like rearranging Titanic deck chairs because, okay, so Jeff Carter's terrible, but the fourth line ain't much better. And are you really going to put, I mean, Crosby maybe, but are you really going to put Malkin out there for a big draw in the last minute? Probably not. And that's not a shot at Malkin. That's just not what he does. Yeah. 
it's a tough situation to be in because you have to retool the whole bottom six, right? Um, really, I mean, at the end of the day, that that's that's kind of the ask, right? Is I, mean, I think Teddy Bluger, I mean, he's a player that unfortunately has a lot of value right now, and if you're going to try to retool the bottom six, you're more than likely going to have to trade him in order to like a player in player out deal uh, for that to work. Uh, but I still think that there's there's good there for him. I know you know offensively he's always sort of been a little bit of a black hole. But the defensive magic's gone. I think that could be rekindled with the right kind of players. But, I mean, look, this environment that we're in right now, um, you know, the expected players are moving, right? We know that they were going to move, and and they are moving. But this isn't the kind of environment right now with $1.9 million in cap space available uh, post-Kapanen wave that you can go out and, you know, make multiple moves, you know, to retool your team, Right. Uh, you can't fix goaltending and defense at the same time. You can't fix your bottom six and defense at the same time. I mean, you're likely in a situation where you're going to have to pick something, roost in that, and go from there, right? I mean, that, that's it. There's nothing that I think can move this team into um, a different echelon than they're in, right? Um, I mean, if you trade for Timo Meyer, probably have a discussion about this team looking a lot different and you know, the trickle-down effect that has. Um, they weren't going to do that. I don't think they, if you look at what New Jersey gave up, I don't even, I said this on Twitter last night. Honestly, Pat, don't even think they had the capital to pull that trade off. No, no. And I, I do like, I do understand the frustration a lot of people have right now watching the trade market go the way it is. I also think that Ron Hextall used the wrong phrase when he got asked about it. When he said prices were too high, I think he more meant, the prices don't match our bank account, basically. Yeah. Because, yeah, the prices aren't high for a lot of guys. Well, it could be moved. both, honestly. Look at the trade last night with Tampa, like, and them emptying out their entire stock of draft picks. Could be both. But I think your point is 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 valid in that even if it is both, does it really make a bit of a difference if you're the one that's, you know, you've got the, the shit under the stick as far as the cabinet is concerned? Well, because even with – even post-Kapanen wave and claim – you have just a shade under $2 million available. And that still means money out, money in for any kind of trade you make. And I, I hate making that excuse for GMs because I'm very much of the uh, Sean McIndoe, down goes Brown school of thought where I just think GMs are lazy in the whole like, no, it's, it's, it's too hard. It's just, it's just so hard. But like, at the same time, when you have just a shade under two million and you have this many holes on your roster, it, as much as I don't think Hextall should be in the job next year, I don't think there really is many GMs out there that could make this work. Um. Yeah, I I don't I don't know what that looks like, right? I I think you've got to you'd have to target somebody young and aggressive, um, or somebody that like. What I'm interested to see with Barry Trotz is like what kind of perspective he brings you know to that situation from having been a coach and out of the sort of like traditional GM you know uh roundabout tenure you know that you generally get there's you know potentially a touch of creativity that comes with that I mean that's yet to be determined but you'd have to go young aggressive you know somebody with like you know like we're, we're going to maximize this windows um eligibility you know you know all hell you know uh, aside that just that's the thing pat that i think a lot of people are frustrated with is a- any legitimate move you make is going to have to include some form of draft capital right i think um 
and then the the reticence from Ron Hextall to like move that is like seems to me like trying to have your cake and eat it too. You know, you've brought the team back into this position, uh, assumingly to win, right? That's the whole that's the whole point of putting the band back together. Um, if that's the case, I, I don't understand. You know, the pumping of the brakes to you know really uh, hit the turbo button on this thing and send it into overdrive. That it's going to have to come from creativity, like you said. It's going to have to come from uh, an aggressive mentality. There are players on this team that carry name weight based on Stanley Cup that you've got to start trying to uh, lump into uh, deals. And, and, and like getting into that pick thing again here, if you're trying to make a trade to Arizona for Jacob Chikrin, are you going to – and this guy they, – they, Tampa talked about this today actually when they, they justified the amount of picks that they sent over. None of the players that you're going to draft with those picks – are going to impact your situation present day or in the window of time that you have available with these players. Like Owen Pickering is your best prospect. I think, I think he's really good, like top pairing defenseman maybe. But like what are you talking about here, three and a half years, four years, right, max, to curate that kind of skill? And he's on like that Brian Dumoulin level of deployment where you, you stew about in the AHL even. I don't know, man. Like I, to me, it's like trying to have the cake and eat it too. And, and you got, there's, there's a deep end that you got to jump into here that I feel like we kind of have one foot in and one foot out of. Right. It, it feels, and I said this in the column today about the, the resolve to not trade the pick. It feels a lot like in math class, when you got that note on your paper that said, Hey, you got the right answer, but you did the work wrong. Or you didn't show it at all. <laughs> because, well, yeah, in his case. But uh, it's one of those, yeah, now it it's not the right idea to maybe trade the pick because you might miss the playoffs. But you shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. It should have been, hey, we're competing to win the Metropolitan Division, so if we move out this first-round pick, we can get somebody that might push us to the top of the division rather than, oh no, we got to make a move because we're battling for the wild card spot. So it, I just, it feels like wrong place, wrong time for Ron Hextall because his, I don't hate his philosophy of management. The problem is this is not the team to do it. If we were in the last year or two of Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and it looked like, hey, you know what? Retirement's on the horizon. This era's done. It's time to start thinking about life after them. I think he'd be a good person to have because he wants to have that patient, long-term uh, goal and vision and build. But right now, we're still very much in the, the future does not matter era. Yeah. This is a tough situation because for another reason, uh, and I, you know, I, I guess, can this team in its current state, and let's assume, you know, maybe a part or two changes around the deadline, right? Let's say that something happens, James Van Riemsdyk comes in. <laughs> this has been my recurring joke on Twitter. Uh, 
I want to push this this pitch this question to you too, Pat. This is a fair one, I think. Can this team, as currently constructed or with the change I just said, play the Mike Sullivan patent system of hockey uh, effectively? Have has that has the heavy forecheck that sort of swirling dervish forecheck that Sullivan invented where you got guy coming constantly into the fray to forecheck has that sunset in Pittsburgh at this point yes and no I think we've seen the first two lines can play that still very <laughs> effectively I know man now we're getting in we're right back to the square one but we? the bottom six cannot and takes legs right it and you know, I, I saw you talking about this t- today on Twitter. This revisionist history of, like, the 16 and 17 cup years being skill and speed and everything on the top six and then grinding blue-collar players on the bottom six, while not incorrect, there was still a lot of skill in the Penguins' bottom six in 16 and 17. Yeah. The difference was, like, they could play a blue-collar grinding style, but it could lead to goals. I look The guts at, of the house was the same, Pat. Right. The wiring, all that shit was the same. The outside might have looked different, right? But the inside of the house was the same. It was all the same blueprint. It was all the same model. The furniture, and the paint was all different. That Sure, cosmetically it was the same, but all four lines got to play the same way to your point. And point of order... They didn't have a top six that year. They had a top nine between Crosby's sure, yeah, line, Vulcan's yeah, line, and then yeah, HBK. Yeah. Like, which is a pipe dream most of the time, right? You got to like that's lightning in a bottle type shit. You're, the HBK thing was like, you, you, get, you know, I think the point to your point is just have a, a, a group of twelve forwards that you could deploy confidently in any situation that could certainly be specialized. Like the Penguins had a specialized fourth line, right? You you could use Matt Cullen as a very specific tool right surgically defensive zone draw late in the game you're on your heels right etc cetera, etc cetera. I, don't, I don't feel that way about jeff carter he gets used that way right like, like that's how he gets deployed but he don't really, like feel like super good about him being out there so i think the problem is like okay to your point like i don't think mike sullivan and i've never seen him do this i you know what pat i would argue most coaches don't do this anymore maybe like John Tortorella does, which is obviously not a compliment. But, like, I think, like, your Tampas, your Colorados, your Calgarys, like, they run all four lines the same now. Like, the concept of a checking line is dead, really. And if you have one, it's more or less your fourth line. And it's not so much a checking line as it is just a dump and chase line now, right? That's probably a better term for it is a dump and chase line than a checking line because, you know, there's no really – you don't have like the, the reason that checking lines existed. Here's a, a literal history lesson for everybody. The reason checking lines existed was there was a two line pass rule, right? So you could take Jamie Langenbrunner and throw him out there with John Madden in the third period of the New Jersey Devils and basically play them as five defensemen, right? Lock up that red line and, and kill it. That, do, that doesn't work anymore. So I, I, the reason I ask you that question, Pat, is I kind of feel the same way. I feel like the top six you can continue to deploy with that aggressive forecheck. Two guys up ice, let's go get it. But when you get to third and the fourth line out there, all you do is expose your defenseman because that forecheck doesn't exist. It's not heavy enough. Teams have time and space to make good decisions with the puck against you. 
And the way the nature of the Penguins one two two setup in the neutral zone is, if that one is not heavy, and isn't like a one and a half or a two, everybody in the back end is vulnerable. They're just they're sitting ducks sort of with no momentum and no speed. And I just feel like structurally speaking, like we got have we had the roster discussion. We know you beat the bottom six stinks uh, horse to death until it's dust. But I think I'm not trying to be like vindictive of Mike Sullivan. I'm not. Because I think he's a real, like one of the best coaches in the league that's been handed a really bad situation. But I think we have to acknowledge, Pat, the fact that, one, he's kind of like in his ways a little bit, I think, with roster alignment and how he's picking the players he's going to deploy. And then, two, does the makeup of the style match the makeup of the roster? And if the answer to that question is no, and you're not going to get anything different from the general manager, do you not have to look inward and say, like, oh, Maybe I need to, like, help my D out a little bit. Maybe I need to put an extra guy back there. Maybe Brian Dumlin's not as swift as I thought he was and a little – a third forward – or, excuse me, a, an extra forward on the defensive blue line and, like, a bit of a 2-3 alignment could help. Um, I don't know, man. That conversation doesn't really seem like it's happening, does it? Yeah, I, I, I think the way I see it is, one, there's a serious disconnect between the front office and the coaching staff Agreed. because – Listen, Mike Sullivan is not generic name head coach. You get an NHL hockey ultimate team just to boost your stats. He's one of the best coaches in the National Hockey League. So you don't do the whole, no, you're going to play the players that I play, that I get, and that's that. You ask him, what do you need to coach? What do you need to be successful? And I don't think that conversation has happened. But at the same time, there is a level of Mike Sullivan needs to go, especially now that it's almost March. Well, this is my team. This is who I have. I have to adapt to what I have been given. So, my roster is my roster, as he said on Saturday. And I and I do think that was a veiled shot at yeah. at the front office of like this this roster is not what we need to win. And, but again. I do think there is a level of I th- you know what I think it's very similar to I think it's very similar to Mike Tomlin. Hmm. I think Mike Tomlin and Mike Sullivan's biggest fatal flaws are that they are loyal to a fault. They have guys who are their guys for better or for worse. I mean, look at Brian Dumoulin right now. Yeah. I, I love the guy. He was he is always going to have a very special place in my heart as the number two defenseman that won back-to-back championships, but he is just not that guy anymore. He should be on the bottom pairing and he isn't. And that's a Mike Sullivan thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, Hey, and here's the question, right? Like, is this a situation where like deploying him downward works? Like, you know, I I get that that does sometimes fix, you know, that, we always joke, Pat, like there's always that thing about like all, oh, you know, the Penguins can cure a defenseman. When I when I think we all know realistically what they're doing is just deploying guys the right way. You know, like Justin Schultz is a great example of that. Cody Cece is probably another one. Like deploy them sensically within their skill set and you get positive, good results. But I don't know that the results for Dumoulin have changed that drastically this season when he's moved down. No, and no. I think, I, 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 unfortunately, the guy looks like I hate cooked. saying that, dude. Oh, I hate it. I do too. Uh, it kills me. It kills me to say it. Especially but like because, I got Like I can't. Like you know. Especially because you wrote a while back, not a while, while back. One of my favorite pieces I've ever read 
where you wrote about how Brian Dumoulin played Connor McDavid better than anybody else yeah, in the league. Yeah, a couple years ago. And there was a time where he he didn't negate Connor McDavid because he's Connor McDavid. He's always going to get his, right? Yeah. But he limited him very well. And Come outside a little bit. Those days are just gone. Well, the legs feed the wolf, Pat, as we both know, right? That's the old adage. Of course, I watched um, that last yeah. week because it was the <laughs> anniversary. <laughs> um, but uh, that's really the problem. Like, that's where I'm going with this. Is like there's still a lot of name power here, you know, to him. And, and you know, winning two cups is something that will woo over just about most general managers, I think, in the league. But I, I, I do question whether, like, what the, the pathway is here, like the end result pathway is. Because I just don't know. You know, with the loss of uh, physical faculty a little bit, and especially in that mobility and turning ability, you know, I'm speaking from experience here as somebody who's just horrible at hockey and can't, it's just horrible at the game. The more you have to think, the worse you are, right? I think the more you lose that natural instinct and the more your faculties decline, Pat, the more your brain has to get used. And when you use, when you lose that natural instinctive reaction time, and you're, you're now thinking about how I can better manage my gap control because I, maybe I don't have that step anymore. You're out of it, dude. You're out of it. You're not in the moment. Now you're, you're, you're in the moment, but you're in the moment in the wrong way. You're managing yourself within the game instead of managing the game. And I think that becomes a problem for people at this point in their career. There's very few in the NHL who can do that to where they can adjust their game from being physically gifted and just naturally talented to being cerebral, most of the time it leads to exactly what you just said. You hesitate, you overthink, you're a step too slow because you're thinking a little too much. There's always a handful of guys who, as they get older, they can think the game a little bit better and they can make up for a loss of foot speed or just a loss of natural ability. And unfortunately, that's not the case with Brian Dumoulin. You can see it in the way he plays. There's a lot of hesitant yeah. play. It's not him having overly diminished skills like he, he he still can handle the puck he can yeah. still put guys on an angle and he can still put himself in position but you can see that it's a step too slow it's a half step the wrong way a half step the right way and it's just because you can see that he's thinking okay i don't have the foot speed i once did four or five years ago yeah. i don't have that that same strength in the stick that i did a few years ago so how do I make up for it? And by the time he figures it out, the play has moved. Yeah. A couple of people have said on Twitter, they feel like he's on an island defensively a lot, um, or he's just kind of out there and not really affecting anything. Or you know, maybe he's going down and trying to take away a lane that's not there, removing himself from the play. I don't know if you agree with that, but it's uh, it's not. I think the re it's not wrong, I think, but it's it's also I think a little bit overly simple. Anecdotal, yeah. But I think too, Pat, the the, re the people that do see it when they do see it. I think they see it as a symptom of like that meant that mindset changing. So like I wrote about Mikey Anderson who got that huge deal with the Kings, right? Who I think is like the new Dumoulin, <laughs> like in a lot of ways. Uh, he'll, he'll like if you look at his area of influence, Pat, and like how far he'll follow a forward, dude. Good luck, like in the defensive zone. Like he'll follow you till you just get rid of the puck, basically. Right? He's not gonna let. He's not gonna give up. And I feel like Dumoulin has lost that piece a little bit. Where now it's almost like he's more reactive than proactive. And I mean, this all ties together. I mean, we're all talking about the same thing. But I think you could see it on the video a little bit, right? In, in terms of like his approach has shifted from being like a more attack, 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 you know, win the puck, win the puck to like protect, 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 you know, don't get exposed, basically, right? Like and, that's, that's where the mentality yeah, shifts out. And, and Anderson, Anderson and Dumoulin, Anderson does the thing that Dumoulin did in his prime. 
to sure. where he forces you into a mistake. He doesn't he doesn't press the issue so hard that he's going to try to like take the puck off you or you know throw a big hit or anything crazy. He just keeps you in low percentage areas until yeah. you do something that benefits him, whether it's make a low percentage pass, take a low percentage shot or turn it over. It's nothing or, it's your head down. Yeah. It's nothing it's nothing spectacular. It's just waiting a guy out and saying I'm I'm playing my angle correctly. I'm yeah. putting you in a position to where you're not going to be able to do anything productive and I'm just going to wait you out. And I have to say people have heard me talk about this all year like John Marino is playing some kind of hockey. Uh some kind of hockey I think. Um and, and I know it's like revisionist history a little bit, right? But I would have you know it's a, it's a difficult situation because I don't know that Jan Rudas helped all that much, right? Like that's been a little bit of a, of a whiff for me. Um, I, 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 I don't know again that the Penguins really have found a mesh spot for him and a partner that is like super uh, sensical. Um, it's been tough. You know, the, I think Jeff Petrie came in and was really good right away. But I think as time has gone on and, and worn on and he's had injury and, and things have accumulated for him, that's worn off a little bit too. So it, I don't know. You know, I think I have to mention the Marino thing, Pat, just because he looks so good, I think. I think it's a little bit of a wash. Like, I don't yeah. disagree. He He's he's played really well on a really good team. I, he's not like a Norris candidate or right. anything like that. I think it kind of gets negated because it looks like P.O. Joseph is going to fill that role. Who looks unbelievable, by the way. Like, and I thought, I know yesterday was a blowout, dude, but like, dude, yesterday was like his probably one of the best games he's played all year uh, in terms of a puck distribution standpoint. And, and you can see, you can see it coming with P.O. Joseph. I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks is that he's playing with a level of confidence that a consistent NHLer does. He's, yeah. he's, he's doing things like moving the puck. I don't want to say in high risk situations, but instead of, defaulting to the safest play he will make smarter plays you know ra- you rather than ah you know i can just clear it out here or ah you know i got the puck at the point i'm just gonna you know rim it around the boards and let the forwards take after it no hold on he'll hold on to the puck for a second he'll look for an open man or he'll take a shot and that stuff comes with the more you play and the better you get and the more confident you get in your game so I think with the with the Marino stuff, it's a bit of a wash because you got P.O. Joseph there, even though Ty Smith has kind of just been toiling away in the AHL. Yeah. Well, let's go here, Pat, because we got we asked for grievances on Twitter and we'll get to them. I do want to ask you this to round it out. Let's let's both take a second here for a minute and give our assessment of what happens. Because <laughs> we got a couple days, right, before the trade deadline comes. We're not quite there yet. I know some of the big moves have already taken place, but there's still plenty of time for things to matriculate. Um, what is your assessment of the next steps for Ron Hextall? And, and I guess more or less like your prediction of where, when the dust settles from the deadline, what what's changed, if anything, about the Penguins? I still think one of the people they need to get to really go after, since he's still out there, is Adam Henrique on Anaheim. Hurt. Is he? Yeah, uh, I missed that. Scratch that off the list. Been, I was right there with you. It's been, it's. But I get the sense that he's on, uh, he's on long, he's on injured reserve. Oh, so I don't know, like, I don't know how long he's going to be out, but it's going to be at least enough that it's that's probably. Yeah. yeah so that's, that's out. I mean, like, I agreed with you though, because it's like cost wise, if you can move some salary there, like 
It's not a lot. I think it was like three something, four maybe. So you got to find a way to cover a little bit. But between between the you know it sucks he's hurt now because between the waving and claiming of Kapanen and then being able to move somebody because let's call it what it is Anaheim's actively tanking they'll take something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I uh, I was into the Barbashev thing for the same reasons, Pat. But like I feel like he lacks a little bit of the I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. It's like there's not enough oomph there for me, you know? There just wasn't enough for me to, like, think he's really going to make this bottom six different, you know? Yeah. Like, kind of- I mean, right now, like, I, I look at the teams that are at the bottom of the standings, and, I mean, who's there? Uh, like, I don't think they're going to get Max Domi. I don't think so either. And not And not even because I don't think he's affordable. I just think he wants to stay in Chicago. Like, yeah, he seems like he loves it there and he's found his spot. So I don't think they're going to be quick to deal him. And if they are, it would be expensive because it feels like they're going to just re-sign him at the end of the year. And uh, I mean, I, I don't see a lot of moves you can make. Maybe they go after Chikrin since. Yeah, since that. Because the- a couple forwards up in Vancouver, a lot of people are talking about two Pat. Um, I thought you had heard like the Canucks will go, they, they've said like up to 25% um, on some of those contracts, but like, I just questioned. To be honest with again, you, the only one on that roster I really like is Besser. Yeah. And I, does he really fill any need right now? Like, it seems like it'd be cool to have him. Like he's a good, he's a good player, but d- what did he, I don't think he okay. fixes much. No, well, that, well, what you get out of it, Pat, is the trickle down. I said, like, on Twitter last night, you move somebody down to the bottom six that shouldn't be there, potentially. Right. Which, it, but, it, you know, that's, which is great, but, like, you know. But does that. You got to do that. You got to do that several times. Yeah, <laughs> like, that, that, that has to become a we've acquired two, three guys kind of thing. And I don't think they have the capital nor the space to do it. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. Well, um, you know what I did say, though, that I think. I wrote a, I snuck this into a column a few weeks back and I I said it on 937 with our boy Josh Taylor. You know who I wouldn't mind them trying to go get is Mark Andre Fleury. I I wouldn't care. I, there was a uh I wouldn't care. There was a time where I would care. I don't care. I don't well, I, I don't care. I say it I say it for this reason. One Jari and DeSmith is not a great tandem. Simply because Jari cannot stay healthy, whether yeah. whether that's just a trait or bad luck. And I know you kind of disagree with me on this, but I think if Casey DeSmith was in every 10 games backup goalie, fine. Whatever. Oh, I don't know. I don't disagree with that, Pat. Not at all. But no, not at all. But he's not a spot starter. Like, so right no. now you need a spot starter. Flurry's got, I think, a year or two left on his deal. It's only three million, three five, maybe one of those two. Yeah. And the Wild are about to enter into a cap nightmare. The next two years, they have nearly fourteen and a half million in dead cap because of the Parise and Suter buyouts. So if you're Garen, you have a great prospect pool that's on their way up. And if there's anybody on your roster that's there, that's not there past for the next three years, get rid of them. Yeah. And I, I just think like he would want to come back. He would be a good guy to back up Jari. And I just, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's, it's, it's my pie in the sky idea. Yeah. Just looking at his results. 
this year. So what? He's been in a he's been in a rough spot. He's been although he's this year's performance is actually like basically the expectation. He's been fine enough. Like I think if this if, is slightly better. If you have a if you have a tandem a one two tandem like that, it's not horrible. But I think when you have a one and a, t- a one and a two like you do right now, it's a problem. I'll tell you what I'm afraid of. Two names. I'll throw this at you. I'll, I'll leave it at this, and we'll move on to the, the user comments. I think I know the the names, and it's, it's Van Reems, Dyke, and Shen. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's that's like that's my fear for in either direction. I just don't think either of those players are worth the even if it's slight capital you'd have to spend to get them. Like it just doesn't. It, it's you know it, it would if it does happen like that to me would be like you have to fire him because now like all he's doing is bringing back things that are comfortable and familiar to him as a GM and you gotta ax that right there like gotta go right like there was nothing attractive about Brock McGinn other than the fact that he'd played here the year prior <laughs> that was it that was it and you were familiar with him you knew who he was you didn't have to do a lot of work bingo bango bongo yeah That's it. and oh. and uh, putting aside that they're comfortable and he knows them. Those are pieces you add for nothing when you're an actual contender and just need depth. That's not where this team is. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to start throwing some things at you. Uh, we asked for uh, grievances. Okay. Uh, and we got a couple. So the first one comes from good friend, uh, PGH guy in VA, longtime friend of the pod. Uh, I don't like getting into saying people's real names just in case I don't want to be doxxed. Um, can we launch into the sun? The people arguing that Kapanen never got a chance on the top two lines for the Penguins. Yes. Uh, well, launch into the sun is harsh. I don't want to do that. Um, but I do want to say, like, it, I think it's unreasonable to say at this point that Kapanen didn't get a chance on the top two lines. And people's response to this is always, we never played with Crosby. That's right. Thank God. Good. Yeah. <laughs> There's no reason that... I, I always lean on this, Pat, and I've told you this a thousand times, but like Sidney Crosby is very difficult to play with. You listen to the things Chris Kunitz has said. You listen to the things Colby Armstrong has said. It is a constant feedback loop, right? Like he's getting into this nuance that's happening on ice, and most people don't even know it exists. And if, if the knock on Kapanen is that he's a low IQ player, which I think is valid based on his eye test and analytics – you're not going to put him with a player like Sidney Crosby and expect to have success. He didn't have success in the top six with Toronto for the same reasons that he wouldn't be good with Sidney Crosby and that he didn't mesh super well here with Evgeny Malkin. Look look at the players who have done the best with Sidney Crosby. Yeah. Pascal Dupuis. Chris, Andy Hilbert. No, sorry. <laughs> Chris Kunitz, Jake Gensel, Brian Rust, Ricard Raquel. And what do they all have in common? They go to the uh, dirty areas yeah. in the offensive zone. They go to the corner. That. They go to the front of the net. What's Kasperi Kapanen's favorite play? He skates down the wing. He gets to the pulls top up. of the circle, pulls up. Crosby would never play with someone like that. And if he did... He'd he, go out of his mind. And if he did, it would be a disaster. Yeah. So, uh, all right, well, that settles that. Uh, good friend of the pod, Laura, from, uh, well, I just said her name, but it's on her Twitter handle. So, that Werewolf Bar Mitzvah, my hockey grievance, why don't they ever wear the RoboPen more? Uh, I don't know the answer to that question. Pat's given me a thumbs down. He hates the RoboPen. Um, I don't like the white RoboPen, like the 90s white, the plain white RoboPen. 
You know, I, I'm, you know where I'm going with this. I love the pajama. I love the pajama Robo Pen with the gray stripe. That's the only. I, that's the only iteration of the Robo Pen I, I like. I'm gonna be super pissed. I'm serious about this. I'm gonna be super pissed off if they go through the whole era of Crosby and Malkin, and we don't get that shit one time. There is an entire era of fans, you and me included, who grew up watching Robert Lang, Marty Straka, and Alexei Kovalev shit on people wearing those jerseys. And it'd be really nice for the spirit of those folk and your army or Yager if we could just throw them a bone and put the pajama out there. Just do one night. Just one. I know that there's protocol. You got to jump through hoops. The NHL is a nightmare with this shit. Just give me one game of the pajama. That's all I'm asking. And not a reverse retro pajama, a regular pajama. Yeah, I, like, I, I don't know. If you don't know what a pajama robo-pen is, by the way, Google it. But, yeah, I, I, just, I don't even know how to describe it. I have a disdain for the robo-penguin for a handful of reasons. And I know it's not the logo's fault, but, like, yeah. you win back-to-back Stanley First. You win back-to-back Stanley Cups, and then you change your uniform. What, what are we doing here? <laughs> Howard Baldwin was wild. Yeah, he was, and I, he was terrible. If, if, yeah, if you're a newer fan, you really need to do some research into how crazy Howard Baldwin was. And then, um, and then, okay. just that oh, that era of Penguins hockey, like just so many things went wrong. Well, you, it was the Devils' time, right? That that was the that that was it. The New Jersey Devils were like, you know, the unstoppable behemoth in that era. Um, I mean, we did get that memory of the the one verse eight seed win that basically saved that the franchise. Saved the franchise. Yeah, I'm just gonna say this real quick because a lot of people don't know this, so I'm gonna wax poetic about it on the podcast because there may be somebody that listens to this that doesn't know this story. But we're talking about how crazy Howard Baldwin, or not crazy, but how bad of an owner Howard Baldwin was. He literally signed the lease to keep the Penguins in Mellon Arena, and that lease gave Mellon the entity, the corporate holder ownership of the arena. All of the profit and con- from concessions, parking, all the shit that normal NHL teams were getting a, a cut of, the Penguins were not getting a cut of during the regular season. So it didn't matter how many people went to the game. That was literally irrelevant, right? The place was full. There were people going to the game. They just weren't getting any of the money. And no business model can operate by paying out millions of dollars in salary and recouping almost none from the place that they play, that's unheard of. That's why when Yarmer Yager beat the Devils as the eighth seed almost single-handedly and got the Penguins further in the playoffs, it made such a huge difference because they made the lease agreement that they had didn't apply to the postseason. They net 100% of that shit that was coming in. Parking, concessions, jersey sales, all that stuff that we were giving up in the lease during the regular season, they were keeping it during the playoffs. So they literally went to Yarmar Yager and said, hey, no pressure, but if you don't win, we might have to move. <laughs> we, may, we may become financially insolvent and bankrupt because of the shit decision that our ownership group made. By the way, they're not our owner anymore, sorry. But they made some bad decisions. They put us in a tough spot. You're going to have to help us out here. And he did. So neither here nor there. I want to get to Laura's off-hockey complaint. Uh, one, this is really messed up, man. One of her coworkers never turns off the cell culture microscope light. Uh, I guess and uh, no, she puts up like five signs around this microscope telling them uh, to turn it off because she has to change the light bulb and they just won't do it. So I'm going to – I don't know where Laura works. So I'm going to find out. I'm going to go up there. Uh, we're going to have a talk to those people, Pat. Just common courtesy people. Like 
turn the damn thing off. It's all it you is. Leave your refrigerator door. Were you bored in a barn? We're not. We're not asking you to. And the microscopes you used when you were a kid. We're not asking you to. Jeez. We're not asking you to move move mountains here. Just basic shit. Mr. Santry, my science teacher, he 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 have your ass for that. Yeah. Tell you right now, Mr. Schultz would Sometimes. kill me for that. Uh, this next one comes from Josh Banks at the Josh Banks on Twitter. Sometimes my hockey takes are so good that no one interacts with them because they're intimidated by my vast and always correct knowledge. When this happens to you, how do you deal with it? I'll hang up and listen. I gotta be honest. I think the problem for Josh is he's shadow banned. I think they have him shadow banned on the internet. I think Musk the whole Elon, the whole internet, not just Musk. The whole internet, the whole not, internet. Yeah, not even Musk. It's Zuck too. Musk and Zuck got you shadow banned, bro. That's it. They don't. The world's not ready for your takes. They're just so I can't. As somebody who's not shadow banned, I can't commiserate with that. Listen, just sometimes the takes are just so, so good, so white hot that they are just going to hurt the general populace. They're not ready for it. It's a safety issue. Uh, Dill the Thrill at Steel City Gator, apparently a Florida fan here. Uh, he wants to give a shout out for St- uh, Scott Strickland uh, for mismanaging University of Florida sports so badly that they still aren't good now that the Penguins have started their downturn. We've gone through an entire generation of hockey without Florida sports being relevant. And he says he can't mentally handle three mediocre teams anymore. Well, I don't know much about Florida sports. Didn't but, uh, hasn't Tampa been to three straight Stanley Cup finals? Well, I think I don't think he's including them. I think he's a Penguins fan. So this is I think what this is is a Penguins fan who also likes Florida, like the the Gators. What I mean. Oh, the yeah. Gators. Yeah. University. Yeah, like Right, the chomp, or yeah, the little chomp down there in the swamp. Yep. Oh, that's what he's talking yeah, about. Oh, University yeah. of Florida. Yeah, he's yeah, right. Yeah. He's yeah. man, he's right. Oh. I don't know shit about. I don't know shit about uh, Florida sports. I know their basketball team's not doing super hot. Uh, Morgan, uh, good friend of the pod, Morgan, get down there and see Morgan down there if you need a Chevy. Is he shells? What is he? Is he I don't know what he shells. Shells Chevys. Try to say that five times. <laughs> Morgan shells Chevys. I don't know if that's it. Anyway. Um, what really grinds his gears is people who bitch about spoilers on the internet. Uh, the internet's been around since Al Gore invented it. If you don't want spoiled, stay off until you see it. Doesn't seem hard to him. I had a story for you, Pat. Uh, I went to Milwaukee, Wisconsin one time, beautiful city. Uh, but it was during the uh, um, the point in Game of Thrones where they're, they're sieging uh, goddamn the White Walkers. You know, they're coming on Winterfell. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I had to go to Milwaukee for, for the, and I couldn't watch the show on the road. And I just simply didn't use the internet until I could watch the show. So I agree uh, wholeheartedly there with that take, uh, get to watching or shut up. Yeah. Like I was, I was this guy that, that Morgan's complaining about, um, pre COVID because like it, it, like, at the time I got it, there was like a there was only like a handful of shows, and Thrones was one of them that like ever that everybody watched. So yeah. it was one of those Breaking like Bad is one, right? What Breaking yeah, Bad's another like one? Breaking yeah. Bad, Dexter, like shows like that. Like, yeah. but like Game of Thrones was like the last like really 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 big one that like everybody watched. So like I kind of got it then, where it's like, hey man, like at least wait like. 12 to 24 hours before like outright spoiling it and then covid happened and i was like you know what like this is where we all go to communicate so like if you haven't seen it just don't go on twitter like i've barely been on twitter today because i haven't watched the last of us yet 
Like I didn't, get, yeah. I didn't get a chance to watch it last night. So yeah, and it's not like you don't even know what happens in that. It was a goddamn video game. Uh, you know, you, you played the video game, you know what uh, happens. Well, I'm, right? I'm an Xbox guy, so I didn't get to play The Last of Us. Yo, guess what, Pat? I got an Xbox. Really now? I got an Xbox. Yeah, we're, I'm. I'm. A, I'm a, I'll get. I'll get to the old gamer tag over here. We're gonna play some. We're games. gonna do some stuff here. But yeah, but yeah, like like I I used to be that guy. Like the one thing I I, I will say though, like if you're gonna talk about a show online don't do the troll thing where you just say what happened like don't be like oh he killed daenerys yeah 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 but like you can say like oh man i couldn't believe that scene inside the throne room and it it, it becomes a if you know you know it's around it yeah like yeah yeah exactly if you know you know right but don't you no, know don't I, be the guy who's like turn to this page and you'll see when dumbledore dies like yeah my friend mark did that um on facebook yeah. When that last Harry Potter book, so just Potterbrook like, like the first thing he did was go on to Facebook and, and spoil it for everyone. So like, I agree. Like if, if you haven't seen something, do yourself a favor and stay off the internet so you don't get it spoiled. But at the same time, if you have seen it, don't be a jerk. Here's the thing, Pat, there's nothing you could spoil for me right now. Cause I've seen every episode of Peppa Pig <laughs> and I've seen every episode of Miss Rachel and there's you so there, look if anything i'm the one doing the spoiling have have um, you have you guys over there graduated the bluey yet man so like uh we should be in that phase right now but she just doesn't like bluey you know and i know bluey's really a show i think anyway it's more for parents than it is for kids but she won't even tolerate it being on so it's not like i watch it for me and have it on in the background because if that thing comes on like right now we're sesame street full on gotta love sesame street peppa pig Hot right now. Hot. Peppa Pig, hot in these streets. <laughs> hot in these streets. Miss Rachel is a constant. So like some basically I sit down with the iPad at dinner and I say, what do you want? Rach. <laughs> <laughs> or the fourth one is Puss in Boots. Oh, Puss in Boots. Anime, is a good one. Yeah, it's animated Puss in Boots on Netflix. Uh and uh The Grinch Stole Christmas 2018, the Tyler the Creator for all one. Very good. Uh we're into that. So uh I want to get the rest of these. We wrap them up. Uh, I, this one's from Matt Schaefer, a longtime friend of the pod. I can't stand when people ask for your help because they deem you as someone knowledgeable with how to fix their problem. But as you answer the question, they, quote unquote, don't think that's right. <clears throat> what answer were you looking for is what Matt asks. Yeah, yeah that, that's that's the classic. Do you want me to tell you what you need to hear or do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Right. Exactly. 100%. So, no, I, I'm with that. Uh, F underscore deuce says my hockey grievance, Ron Hextall and Mike Sullivan are still working for the penguins. Deuce. I'll give you Ron Hextall jury's out for me on Mike Sullivan. It's probably actually not even out. It's probably still in. And I'm just, uh, I don't know. We already talked about that non hockey grievance. We don't consistently produce episodes anymore. I'll accept that criticism. I mean, that's I, fair. I, 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 I just also explained why we're not doing it inherently yeah. when I had my Peppa Pig discussion. So. Well, I said, <laughs> I said it to, to a friend of the pod, Laura, because she reads a lot of the stuff I write for Penguin's Perspective. I know she reads a lot of what you do for The Athletic. And, I, you know, she said, I really hope you guys get a chance to podcast about this team mm -hmm. soon. And I said, it's tough because, you know, you got you – along with doing everything you do for athletic McKean's and you, I know you were helping out with staff and graph and then at the PDO cast now too. Yeah. So doing that with Dimitri every, every little bit doing the film room studies too. put that on top of you having a regular job and you have you being a dad 
that's it's really tough for you to find a time and then add in the fact that Mike and I don't work traditional like nine to five hours for KDKA. Mike yeah. Mike starts at midnight and I start at four a.m. So our schedules are goofy as all hell. So it's really hard to find a time where the three of us can consistently sit down and do this for you know sixty to ninety minutes. Do aim into that. It's just sort of like part of my life where I have to be very critical about how I spend my my time, and that's not anything to take away anything away from Pat. But no, and it's not. Like, it's on. The, I have like two hours a day to do things. It's <laughs> not that, and it's not even that, like we don't want <laughs> like, to do it. Like we, I love doing this. Like when Jesse texted me yesterday and was like, "Hey, do you think we can do an episode in the next day or two? I was like, "Oh my god, yes, let's do this. When are you available? Let's go." go. I like I couldn't text him back fast enough. Yeah, it's one of those things where like we're gonna know when it's time. You know what I mean? And how. If depending on what happens at the deadline, you may get another one from us real soon. <laughs> but uh, but no, I uh, th- it is nice when people check in and say like, hey, like, are you guys going to do a show? Um, we'll take those suggestions. So you could either tweet us or the main account at Dying Pod, and uh, just tell us, send us nice thing Valentine's cards and candies. <laughs> um, well, if nothing else, it'll make us feel better about ourselves. So that's it, Pat. This was a good show. It was nice to get on here and kind of just uh, shoot the shit for a little bit about the state of the union. Uh, and about where the penguins are and where they're potentially going. It's it's tumultuous times. But hey, remember, it's points like this that make winning feel better. So sit down and take it, because uh it'll make you it'll make you better for it later on when when the good times are around. So whenever whether that be tomorrow or uh ten years from now. So uh we'll be back at some point, Pat. We will. And thank you guys for still caring. Like it like that last bit. Like thank you guys for still giving a shit and wanting us to do this because we do love doing it. It's just tough. Yeah. And uh, hang tight through the rest of the trade deadline. Put your seatbelts on. Buckle up your babies, and we'll talk to you soon. Buckle your babies up in the upright position, and we will talk to you later.